Should the government tell men how to be fathers? This was the title of a debate invited by The Telegraph in 2007 after the release of a booklet entitled Including New Fathers, a guide for maternity professionals. And this was produced and published by Fathers Direct, advisors to the British government on fatherhood backed by the Minister of Health. The booklet encouraged fathers to strip their shirts before holding their newborn babies to aid the bonding process. They should gaze into their baby's eyes to stimulate their baby's brain development. In the last seven years, skin-to-skin contact for fathers with their newborns has become a practice that that is standardized in UK maternity hospitals, particularly if the babies have been delivered by caesarean section, which is now one-fourth of birth in the UK. While the popularity of terms such as pregnant men, birth partners, and the use of we for couples in the transition to parenthood has become established in many parts of the global West, the change of focus from janitor versus pater to nurturing father calls for a revisiting of Amazonian reproductive rituals for comparative inference. The term kuvad was coined at the beginning of the 20th century to denote sets of somatized of ritual displays of relatedness between parents and their offspring before, during and after childbirth in various parts of the world, most particularly in Amazonia, Melanesia and Europe. Borrowed from the French word for brooding, which is couvet, couvet refers to, and I use uh, Peter's definition here, a set of ideas and related conventional behavior that, I highlight, intimately associates a man with the birth of his child. And I use Peter's rather than Tyler's original definition uh, of Kuvad because of this intimately associates. I think it's particularly um, uh, relevant to what I'm talking about. The most dramatic aspect of covert rituals is the cross-gendering of roles, with men taking to the childbed and symbolically assuming women's labor pains. It is, however, the shared agency and empathy, mit Leiden, of men and women as co-parents that have historically attracted most attention. Until he was urged by Bachofen to take a stance on the evolution from mother-right to father-right, Tyler had a special interest in covert customs as instances of sympathetic magic. His early description of the custom of covert couches the psychosomatic bond between parents as a, part of, as a paternal nurturing act. He says, the father on the birth of his child makes a ceremonial pretense of being the mother, being nursed and taken care of and performing other rites such as fasting and abstaining from certain kinds of food and occupations, lest the newborn should suffer thereby. And again, it's to prevent the suffering of the newborn that I would like to emphasize. Uh, Several decades later, Malinowski also expressed ambivalence in his interpretation of the Kuvad between a public acknowledgement of social paternity and an intimate father-child bond. He writes, 
the cover that makes man simulate the birth pangs and illness of maternity is of great value and provides the necessary stimulus and expression for paternal tendencies, contributing to a close proximity between father and child. Similar arguments have been used across the nature-nurture divide to describe covert phenomena in animal models, particularly marmosets, um, seahorses, whales, and elephants. So this is a, a witchel um, covert, because the covert is, of course, quite widespread in the Americas. And uh, the and women pulls the rope, which are attached to the man's testicles every time she has contractions. <laughs> so um, this this is uh, this is a study about seahorses, which ex which actually are a sort of low order uh, animal, but they they they've been they provide a very interesting model. Laura Rival's questioning of the treatment of the mother-child bond as naturalized in earlier anthropological interpretations of covert practices in Amazonia, that was in 1998, um, marked a turning point in the analysis of covert as a right of co-parenthood. In his classic seven, 1973 papers, Genitor, Genetrix, Nature, Culture, John Barnes contrasted the naturalness of the mother-infant relation which was still a taken-for-granted assumption at the time, with the European ethno-epistemology of physical fatherhood. He writes, The relation of genitor is an optional interpretation in the idiom of nature of an essentially moral relation. In contrast with the social father, John Barnes placed the natural mother within the pure, pristine state of biological relationship out there in reality that Schneider so revived. Following analysis of kinship as a process of becoming through recombinant relationships, and that's Strathern, or relatedness, Karsten, Rival defined the Warani Kovat as a right corresponding to the process by which a new human person is brought to life and new relationships are created. Welcome as guest in the long house. The Guarani newborn is gradually incorporated in the web of genealogical and affinal ties that his or her birth also contributes to activate for his or her parents. Her seminal article brings together aspects of Amazonian covert that had never been addressed, particularly regarding procreative sexuality. This is an analysis of social covert, however, to follow Newman's earlier distinction between psychosomatic and social covert. And um, why should men across cultures, however, embody their intimate relation to women who are pregnant with their children, irrespective of whether they are biological genitors of these children, of the mood, irrespective of the mood of conception, and irrespective of whether they and their doctors are conscious, often not conscious, of this embodiment? So this is the question that I would like to address today. In the margins of anthropological preoccupations with social paternity, psychologists have become interested in the covert as possibly universal assemblage of behaviours 
in which symbolic and biological aspects are not easily separable. A number of surveys from Dawson in 1929 to Brennan um, very recently have documented and validated the folk belief still known to midwives in parts of Britain and Ireland that a percentage of pregnant men varying from 20% to 85% according to studies manifest specific clusters of symptoms ranging from toothache, formerly known as the married man's pain, to weight gain, stomach ulcers and bleeding. The covert syndrome has however remained unlabeled and contested in biomedicine in spite of solid evidence of its relevance to healthcare in terms of both financial cost and personal refer- suffering related to the absence of recognized diagnostic tools. And that was particularly emphasized in the De Vries volume. The surveys are not explanatory, but they offer solid data in contrast with post-Freudian psychoanalytic interpretations of Kovad as male envy or of the creative capacity of females and symbolic acting out of the female reproductive world. So in this paper, my aim is to look particularly at the ways in which the intimacy between parents-to-be and new parents is constituted and also at the somatic expressions of this intimacy. And I draw comparatively on longitudinal fieldwork in the Peruvian upper Amazon and also fieldwork in maternity hospitals in the southeast of England. I discuss the emergence of quasi-rights of Kuvad, quasi-rights, within global maternity care, dubbed the new Kuvad, and relate them to idealized in intimate relations in the reproductive process. And I uh, will conclude by saying that the this raises questions about nurture beyond the nature nurture debate, which was thought to be uh, closed at the end of last century, but it has recently reopened. So uh, this part is on Amazonian rights of Kuvad. Since von Steinmann's accounts of his travels to Xingu area in Brazil in 1894. Various ethnographers, and there were descriptions of the Kuvad before in, in the Guyanas, various ethnographers have described South American Kuvad as sets of ritualized behaviors that allow parents to jointly shape their growing baby into an individualized human. And uh, I think von Steinlein was quite singular in uh, saying that. Yet, as noticed by Laura Rival, in order to assist and even promote the human configuration of their offspring, Both parents need to depersonalize themselves as normal gendered beings. And it is this paradox that I wish to explore in the context of Amazonian shamanism and global obstetrics. In Amazonia, covert rituals have been and continue to be practiced among virtually all indigenous groups, making them part of a pan-Amazonian animist ontology characterized by... uh, Pan Amazonian animist ontology characterized by multinationalism, and that's uh, the work of Viveros de Castro and Escola. The prescriptions and proscriptions that both parents are traditionally expected to follow from the onset of pregnancy to their child's early years can best be understood 
in relation to the delicate carving and protection of fragile human identity in the midst of an agential cosmos where other beings are constantly threatening the differentiation between humans and non-humans that support social life. Cultural practices that are part of Pan-Amazonian shamanic understandings about personal integrity and sickness aim at keeping at bay the risk of predation that increases at transition times during the life cycle. For women, menstruation, pregnancy and childbirth are times when their bodies are open and their boundaries permeable to intrusion by certain cosmic beings such as creatures of the water and earth domains, so that's anacondas, river dolphins, giant otters or worms. And here you can see uh, a shaman coaxing uh, a a giant worm that has intruded uh, into a pregnant woman. For men, initiation, deep forest hunting, shamanic training, the transition to fatherhood, and formerly warfare and the capture of enemies are times of vulnerability to cosmic predation that may compromise not only their human integrity and survival but also endanger their close relatives with risks of illness, accident or misfortune. For both men and women, the death of a close relative is also a time of acute danger where the transition from the individualized souls of the living to harmless ancestors' souls needs to be ritually enacted. Amazonian bodies are grown as soul bodies that has been uh, shown a lot in the literature, Macallum, Taylor, Vilasa. Emerging progressively from the inchoate pool of soul matter that couples draw from to conceive and into gelling as the first stage of hardening of the shared fluids, blood and semen of the couple, And this is promoted through repeated sexual intercourse in a conscious process of nurture by both parents. The Quechua Lamas of the Peruvian Upper Amazon, among whom I live two pregnancies, believe that growing fetuses must be fed spiritually as well as physically. While categories of food that are desired or to be avoided during pregnancy vary, there are shared symbolic associations. For example, toucan meat, is particularly sought after as a, as a fat-free meat, considered excellent for pregnant women, but also because toucans pair for life. The pregnant father is encouraged to seek suitable game fish and plants food amidst ribald joke regarding his male potency. All members of the large house of ham- or hamlet watch over the process. Omens deciphered from bird calls, encounters with symbolically unsuitable animals such as sloths, which of course are very slow and risk to stop labor. um, Call for shamanic intervention, and this is usually the blowing of tobacco smoke or the extraction of darts in more serious cases, that have penetrated the woman's body. The delicate soul matter is uh, gelling unto, unto a body until the close to the time of birth where par- parents engage in a deeper psychosomatic connection through characteristic Amazonian shamatic assesses. They not, not only abstain from animals with red blood and fat or using sharp tools, 
but both parents also uh, avoid going into the forest. While I agree with Rival that there is a marked change from normal gendered personhood, is it, it is relevant following hints first offered by Metro to highlight that co-dating parents are also engaging in a shamanic act of transformation. It is only close to the time of birth that sexual activity is curtailed. When the couple together are making themselves bland and inactive, non-threatening, with non-threatening bodies, to no longer nourish but uphold the vitality of their baby. In contrast, the ritual birth of male initiates and new shamans demand sexual abstinence because they are symbolically embodying the normally female function of giving life. So I think there is a, there is a slightly different interpretation here. Parents are thus not so much becoming androgynous figures as expressing an enhanced version of their respective gender roles. Men as hunters and shamans have the ability to engage in cosmic nurturing activities. Hunters do so through intimate connections with masters of animals who supply the game. A breakdown in this intimacy re re results in bad luck illness, which has a, a special name, aphasiku, that Kechualama's men most dread. The Quechua concept of nurture, wiwa, is the most salient concept in the domestic practice and philosophy applied to plants, animals, and forested or adopted children, fostered or adopted children. While women engage in nurture consistently in their productive activities from early childhood, it is not just a simple act of growing something, but it is mediated through their substance, as particularly done in garden magic. Men nurture shamanic plants and also certain magic objects that they can take care of in the same way. Wiwa is caring to make a being thrive, nurturing its vitality with the connotation that there is a transfer of subtle energies, a cathectic connection between nurturer and nurtured. So the object of nurture is imbued with some substance of the nurturer. Women sing to their manioc plants, and sometimes they feed special plants and stones with their menstrual blood. Shamans nurture their spirit children in the same way as mothers nurture their babies, caring for their welfare in a very personal way. In the context of this shamanic culture, the joint agency of parents to be and new parents is mediated by what most calls techniques of the body, through subtle body states visible to shamans, that temporarily hide the individual agency of the parents, a space for the maturation and the hardening of the baby into a vital entity is opened. In a similar way, men hand over spe selected puppies that they want to rear as their personal hunting dogs to their wives in a, in a joint nurturing process. The women breastfeed the puppies until they are strong and able to hunt. Then men rub the dogs with medicinal leaves, blow tobacco spokes over their bodies, and even give them some hallucinogenic plant potions to make them better see the game. Nurture pertaining to shamanic agency related to hunting and predation, however, is not shared with women. Women as shamans operate in the same way as men. 
covert rituals, at least in Western Arizona, can be interpreted in the context of a culture of shamanism in which there is a continuum of agency from household heads to individuals acknowledged to be powerful shamans. So everyone is a bit of a shaman. A new expectant father learns to take responsibility for the well-being of his wife and his baby in a continuation of his learning to be a hunter, negotiating his relations um, with beings of the forest as cosmos as much as with his consanguineal uh, affines or uh, relatives or affines in the con- localized kindred in which he resides. When, when these relations are compromised, shamans are called to intervene and restore healthy boundaries for the whole household to protect the baby's growth or to restore health in cases of pregnancy loss. So people living in the extended household or residential cluster, and that's a more or less typical cluster, <coughs> share substance through commensality, sleeping clothes, sharing dreams, rearing animals and plants, sharing paths to the river and paths to their gardens and the forest. Common living underpins a kinship-based domestic economy based on sharing inside reciprocity outside. This continuity of relatedness among co-residents is reasserted openly through group behaviours at the moment where life is transferred in birth and death or threatened as in illness. So all the household or the cluster members jointly follow the the same shamanic diet and activity restrictions. The elders in the group safeguard the intimacy of expectant couples in their garden houses or river spot designated as private places for sexual relations. Pregnant women went on their own, as, as I was, uh, because my husband was here, are integrated in the close sensual group bonding and grooming among women and children that allows them to be safe by the rivers. This is also the time when women living very, very, very locally and with distant husbands who may be in companies or in the military service, uh, particularly are nurtured to make up for the lack of repeated sexual intercourse that should provide semen as added substance. The household or residential cluster provides a unified nurturing unit for the pregnant woman in an extension of the expectant father, irrespective of your locality or luxury locality. The pregnant woman also receives artifacts that are both functional and symbolic, usually from her mother's brother, activating ties further afield uh, out of the cluster, particularly from first babies. And I receive these artifacts in a very ceremonial way, making me feel that I was integrated. I received a deer skin, specially tanned, to to lay the baby on the earth floor and to lay all successive babies, the future babies, symbolizing the ancestor souls that are thought to wander in the bodies of deer, a category of unedible animal in most of Amazonia. The, uh, the woman is also ceremonially handed the cotton baby carrier, formerly a bark cloth carrier, that she will, that a senior man in her kindred will have woven for her on an upright loom. I still have mine. As the placenta is fed to a neighboring leaf-cutting ant's house that is underground with many chambers and, and is a space of height and fertility which mirrors the, the proliferation of the clusters, 
The whole new kindred of the newborn is nurtured. Is nurtured. Plant and animal parts are sort of fresh in the forest as amulets to assert the newborn's gendered affinity with cosmic beings. The process of also protection. The process of human individuation first theorized by Morse takes place through symbolic acts supported by myth of reversal. Uh, formerly, uh, women didn't know how to have babies and men had to cut them open uh, and, and be the sole nurturers. And also, um, uh, shamanic primeval agency. Only the, the shamans were responsible for, for the differentiation between and human and human, humans and animals. So the Kuva provides an etiology of uh, pregnancy loss, childbirth complications, fetal abnormalities, infant sickness, and mortality. And I, I, I think it's uh, mostly now used that way as, as uh, people are more mobile and there is less time to... Uh, to, to engage in very long rites of kuvad. And I witnessed uh, uh, a baby being doused in, in diesel under a truck, under a huge Volvo truck, because his father was actually working as, as, a, as, a, as a loading man on, on the uh, logging company's truck. And uh, the woman thought that he had this, cons- this constituted a breach of kuvat taboos, and because the father was working on truck, she asked. She went. She walked to the road and asked the driver, the driver of one of a random lorry, if she could douse her baby. She could have a bit of diesel and and put the, the diesel on the baby as 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 a sort of uh, case of sympathetic magic, which uh, I managed to just stop in time. <laughs> But uh, it was. Uh, this is the kind of way in which the kuvad is uh, served as a theology, which is has its plus, pluses and minuses. The Quechua Lamas, like many Amazonian indigenous groups, have no word for kuvad, but like other Amazonian men, they justify that the Quechua Lamas men justify their adoption of shamanic-like actions including taking to their hammocks as their baby's birth draw clothes on the, baby, on the basis of solidarity with their wives and the closeness they feel with their babies. So now that women are coerced to, into having their babies at health posts in order to get the baby's birth certificates and also uh, given the, hate of, uh, the high rate of instrumental deliveries, it is felt that mothers and babies are most vulnerable after rather than before childbirth. Giving birth in the health post after some amount of clinical surveillance alters one of the main traditional aspects of COVID, namely the decision-making process by female birth attendants and in most cases by the father as well about the viability of newborns. The weaker of twins and babies with deformities used to be swiftly expedited and the household would silently and informally support the mother's grieving. Um, so there are, this is no more. And ceremonial kuvad as well, in which uh, men used to uh, recruit their, their work parties among their kindred 
uh, and which also show the continuity of the, the range of the Kuvad, um, the significance of the Kuvad as a political reproductive ritual. That's a very old structural functional explanation to, to these unexplained uh, sympathetic magic aspects. Um, and uh, but, however, the paternal, the, the the plural, the ideas of partible fatherhood continue to 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 exist uh, among the Quechua Lamas. So, any man who has had previous uh, sexual relations with the woman uh, who's giving birth can publicly acknowledge his creative contribution to the making of the child through shared substance by bringing her meat and also um, abstaining from the proscribed uh, foods at the same time and making this known. So this this can cause a bit of confusion, but uh, everybody respects this. And the nurturing bonds of Amazonian Kuvad are associated with respect Babies are treated as full human beings, persons in their own right, only needed gentle, practical support as they are led from wet beings, you-you, to strong toddlers, wonga. Exchanges of substances continue between mother and baby through breastfeeding and the feeding of pre-masticated foods, between the father and baby through the shamanic act of blowing smoke, tobacco smoke, and between the parents through co-sleeping with their baby in the middle, in between them, and spending time together relaxing in hammocks. The whole household contributes to harmonious living according to the idea of living well, uh, so that the newborn soul uh, may want to stay. So, the, as the tentative explanations by Fraser to make sense of contemporary Kuvad customs in the Mediterranean and of historical reports of Kuvad in England since Elizabethan times, in terms of his theories of magic, were abandoned in favor of more social structural analysis, the continuity between phenomena consigned to midwifery folklore and contemporary fatherhood resurfaced in psychology. Observations that men in the British Navy were incapacitated when their wives were close to giving birth prompted research that linked this irrational transference to ethnographies of the Kuvad while seeking to circumscribe the syndrome. Successive studies have validated the, ex the existence of Kuvad as male pregnancy symptoms affecting men during the pregnancies of their children's mothers using both qualitative and quantitative methods. Lipset's analysis of men's visit to local surgeries between during their wife's pregnancies has shown a statistically significant increase of these visits. Brennan's online epidemiological studies of Australian fathers and expectant fathers at St. George's Hospital, that's in 2010, shows clusters of syndromes confirming uh, earlier results. Cooper's qualitative study in Durham links similar symptoms to attitudes of a small sample of British men in the transition to fatherhood. And that her study is 2005. And the interviews are interested 
is that they reveal links between the men's expectation to take part in birth alongside mothers in a supportive role and their self-perceptions coupled with anxiety about their ability to nurture their babies adequately. Um, as queried by Dufries, the validation of male pregnancy <coughs> symptoms has not been sufficient to constitute evidence resulted in a recognized label syndrome such as PTSD or ADHD, and these, are, these were rival potential syndromes at the time, but PTSD, post-traumatic uh, stress disorder, and ADHD made it into a syndrome, but not the COVID, not, not male pregnancy. And male pregnancy has remained associated with the category of phantom pregnancy, and therefore with assumptions of mental disorders linked to individual histories of schizophrenia. So while psychological research into mental disorders associated with men's and women's experience of becoming parents is ongoing and increasing considerably uh, in recent years, the expansion of literature, both academic and popular, concerned with fatherhood and manhood at the turn of the 21st century has a clear focus on normality. In parallel with the proliferation of books for pregnant women, and I think you'll probably all come across to uh, what, to, what to expect when you're expecting, or uh, Stern's Birth of a Mother, new guidebooks appeared written mostly by men for men facing the transition to fatherhood, and that's uh, Pregnant Fathers. The book Pregnant Fathers is, on, is a bestseller. These books, as well as internet sites and blogs designed for fathers-to-be and new fathers, allude to ethnographic records of covert rituals, particularly in Amazonia. References, however, are cursory and repetitive, but they appeal to the Western imaginary, among other images of Amazonia. It's always the same. So, um, I will now turn to obstetric... Uh, obstetric rights and the new COVID. Men's involvement in medically managed birth in hospital, which unfolded in the last three decades of the 20th century, has been a major culture change that continues to be extended from Europe and North America to other parts of the world in the 21st century. After being barred from the intimacy of birth, which was exclusively attended by midwives and doctors until the 70s, by the 1990s, father's close participation in the birth process had become a cultural imperative. Uh, there is no sign that this is a transient phenomenon. On the contrary, birth attendance is complemented by a ritualization of expectant father's involvement in the pregnancies of their children's mother-to-be. There are two aspects of this ritualization that I wish to comment upon. One consists of obstetric practices that have become institutionalized as quasi-rights and have acquired meanings as landmarks in the joint transitions, transition of birthing partners to parenthood. The other one, which is much more problematic, is the psychosomatic covert of expectant fathers that is rapidly becoming a socially recognized, albeit informal, aspect of couples' transition to parenthood, even in the absence of a labeled syndrome that might legitimize those symptoms. 
for both aspects, like in the Amazonian Kuvad, there is a clear dimension of performance into being a man who exhibits Kuvad symptoms or engages in obstetric marker practices signals himself as a genitor cum pater. I suggest that father's attendance in childbirth linked with the medicalization of childbirth since the 1970s has precipitated a global popular reckoning of Kuvad symptoms that have in turn become stereotyped within cosmopolitan changes in the reproductive process. The new conflation of rights and symptoms under the Kuvad name invites us, or perhaps forces us, to renaturalize gender relations around childbirth on different bases than those discussed earlier in anthropology. Kuvad, in its dual phys- physical and socially covert or overt manifestations, can help us rethink the form and context of couples' and intimate relations as they are made meaningful in changing global processes of uh, pregnancy, childbirth, and early parenthood, and theorized as kinship. And I refer to the word of constables, the work of constables, constable on intimate relations. David Chamberlain, uh, who's a um, child psychiatrist in, uh, who worked on pioneered prenatal psychology, put across the new parents' awareness of intimacy in a simple way, I quote, during the 266 days or so of pregnancy, connections between family members become tangible. The baby depends on the mother, who depends on the father, who depends on the love of the mother to be and baby. I think that's, that would be acceptable to many parents to be. In 1973, men who chose to be pregnant at the birth of their children, whether at home or in maternity hospitals, were still a small minority of 17%. Clichés of men pacing corridors and being offered cigars when the happy arrival was announced were still valid. To many men, the prospect of holding a newborn baby was culturally alien. By the 1970s, But the 1970s were a decade of rapid change in the management of childbirth in Britain. The transition from home birth to hospital birth was achieved in a remarkably short time. By the early 1980s, babies in England and Wales were born mostly in hospitals, 90% of them, so it happened really quickly. And by the late 1980s, a majority of babies were welcomed jointly by their mothers and fathers. These two major cultural changes, birth in hospital and father's attendance in childbirth, were simultaneously inscribed in policies of maternity care. Earlier maternity hospital policies excluded fathers or any other attendants from labor wards on the grounds that fathers posed a risk of infection and were likely to faint. If they requested to attend birth, men were considered to have deviant motives. It was therefore unexpected that men were quite suddenly invited to be present at the birth of their children, and even less likely that this would take place in the name of kinship. Men could not have penetrated the sanctum of the labor ward and even less of theaters in which caesareans were performed without the positive endorsement of doctors. Correspondence in the Lancet in the mid-1970s reveals that doctors were in favor of men attending childbirth, not so much for the benefit of midwives, 
who presented, who protested at first, seeing men as a hindrance rather than a help, or for the benefit of women, but on behalf of a Malinovskian ideal of a family in the making, right from the time of birth. At a time where public attitudes are more critical and less respectful towards doctors, a translation effort is required to think of obstetricians deliberately wishing men into the birthplace in order to secure paternal attachment to the mother-baby pair. But after a short controversy, fathers were officially encouraged to attend childbirth, and there was a campaign called We Encourage Husbands, uh, it was in 1977, through rational publicized in the British Medical Journal. And this is clearly due to this, rather than due to pressure from grassroots feminist movements who are reclaiming uh, the agency for this. British and American fathers responded enthusiastically to this official invitation. Nurses and midwives and those doctors' arguments centered on fomenting early family bonds. And that another campaign called Bonding for Baby, Mother and Father. In the 1980s, men on the labor board became a focus for enlisting participation rather than attendance. Given the increasing pressure on midwives in in short-staffed units, Men were invited to act as companions to women left alone in labor. Fathers starting having chapters dedicated to uh, them in childbirth education manuals. But in spite of contemporary studies questioning the beneficial effects of birth attendance on men, the norm of fathers' attendance in childbirth was consolidated without any previous research and studies showing how fathers are involved in the birth of their children, where better fathers in terms of spending more time with their children, were only uh, provided as a posteriori confirmation. So this, there is a, a, the creation of a, a context for, for this new covert, and it's hand-in-hand, hand, linked hand-in-hand hand with anthropology, uh, Poole, whose research was contested, but his term of pregnant fathers, uh, which he claims was used by the Bimin Kukusmin uh, people in New Guinea, may have contributed to the dissemination of a term in popular accounts of the new Kuvad. And over the last two decades, the ritualized involvement of men in childbirth has now uh, become institutionalized both in pregnancy and the postpartum. From early ultrasound scans, from early uh, ultrasound, early ultrasound scan appointments onwards um, to the six-week check uh, of mothers, fathers are increasingly present. Fetal scan pictures are held in their wallets and cards featuring pregnant couples with personalized pictures which may also now include the baby's names, visibly involves the genitors in the pregnancy process. So the emergence, um, this signals the, the, the emergence of a new dimension of male identity with a bundle of associated emotions and encourage, if not prescriptive, behavior, behaviors as nurturing men uh, which cannot be just account as a mere 
read the passage. Sue Cooper in her Durham study notes that men were creating and defining a ritual process in their passage to fatherhood that navigated and assimilated both new and traditional ideologies while endeavoring to manage the conflict that this created. While a minority of new fathers bravely embrace the challenges of shared parenthood, most face uh, the legacy of modernity in which uh, mother and child constitute, still constitute the exclusive social fabric of birth from the clinic's perspective. There's a recent article called uh, Take, Taking Off, Removing the Maternal Lens by Andrea Doucette in uh, O'Reilly's book on uh, uh, US uh, 21st century motherhood, which, is, uh, re which reviews the preponderance of the maternal lens. Cutting the cord, being photographed with their newborns, uh, are now institutionalized rights. Uh, the events are the culmination of the emotional investment of fathers in the reproductive process, which is itself an outcome of the negotiation of models of masculinity, power relations in the labor world, and ideals of shared parenthood. The ambivalent role given to fathers has been still simultaneously empowering and disempowering and this is because of the still the dominance of the uh, of, of the hospital uh, the medical the me medical environment still remains domi dominant over the couples so uh, there's a, um, a nice quote in read that, that goes as a mother is thought to descend into the uncontrolled animality of giving birth the father is expected to assert himself over her. He is to exert his powerful presence to prevent her total disintegration. So this is now uh, uh, giving way to uh, a much closer involvement. And fathers, fathers and nurses have allied, have created set an alliance in, in which they uh, want to be showing their emotions in the medical setting. And there is a, a, a quote by a midwife, I realized how often a man's personal feelings and needs were ignored while subtle pressure is exerted on him to stay in his traditional role as a supporter to the pregnant woman. Um, fathers who have seen their children born tend to describe the experience in very emotional terms, wonder, joy, and surprise as what they had previously regarded as an exclusively female experience could affect them so deeply. And descriptions of birth as a dimension of sexuality have been mostly phrased in uh, the experience of homosexual couples, of heterosexual couples, yet the emphasis uh, has been on physical intimacy rather than in gender roles, and there are interesting articles on, on homosexual couples in the transition to parenthood in, in this respect. So, um, a recent quote, things have changed, dads are more involved. My dad never showed me affection. I hope to be able to kiss and cuddle my child. You can do that now. It's not hard to do that. My dad never said he loved me. Um, and so on. This is from an interview. Uh, 
Father's attendance in childbirth indexes Euro-American values related to gender, parenting, and care, eliciting imitation or resistance in other parts of the world. So the, the extent to which the shift from father's attendance in childbirth to a complete involvement in pregnancy and the postpartum, the extent to which, to which this shift which has occurred here has been passed on to other parts of the world where father's attendance in childbirth is now also standardized. This is not yet clear. And I, I do uh, observe that uh, regularly when I travel. But uh, it is actually very strongly encouraged. And I, there are recent WHO, the most recent WHO reports, uh, encourages um, health centers, midwives working in health centers, to involve fathers. And this recently done even around the Ebola crisis in, in uh in Africa, which is uh, interesting. And there are, there are hybrid uh, ways, such as uh, parto vertical, the vertical way of birth, which uh, are sites of negotiation because, of course, if you're going to reintegrate a vertical birth position, it, it's only too logical that the father, the covert involved father should be there but is at the moment in Ecuador his uh, fathers are accepted in the house post where you have a sala de parto vertical a, a room for uh, vertical birth positions uh, and the father has to, to scrape and, and wear uh, and, and wear the, the, the hospital uh, suit uh, but in, 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 in Peru, the father is not accepted in, 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 in this uh, hybrid uh, adaptation. Anthropology has long been one of the ways in which alternative practices of childbirth and early parenting among Western parents were authenticated. Margaret's, Margaret Mead's input into Dr. Spock's writings on parenthood after becoming a mother contributed to popularize this trend. And a resemblance between men's attendance in childbirth in hospitals and ethnographies of ritual cooper did not escape male apologists as they had babies themselves. So there, there were a series of articles by Hagen, Hugen, Poole, and Reed, which made explicit links between uh, their experience of fatherhood and apology uh, of cooper. So. Uh, the, the, the way in which anthropology always provides a, a, a rationale and, and an inspiration for this sort of maternity changes is of interest. The new COVID is inscribed in broad social changes that include the increase of birth out of wedlock, the rise of the maternal childbearing age, and it, it has, uh, it has uh, it, the, the, the age at first baby has increased by 10 years in, in three decades. So that's quite significant. Changing values of children, the availability of new reproductive technologies, and an altered gender balance in the workplace. So all these changes inflect and reflect deeper transformations in kinship, gender, and care and in ways of being in the world. 
So in the social environments in which women have access to education and the workplace in greater numbers, uh, new understandings of intimacy have arisen and they have been articulated in both uh, heterosexual and gay parenthood. In various parts of the world, prospective parents are now expected to go through the steps of addressing risks and anxieties with the use of new technologies together in scenarios defined locally and culturally and invariably with the race or, or class-based divide. Beyond the hospital doors, there is considerable variation in the involvements of baby care in the early months in, in comparison with the standardization of childbirth attendance. But most fathers today are aware that their care around the birth has potential long-term implications for their child health and well-being as a predictor of future outcomes. And I, I think that finally, the, in, in this decade, the literature, the last decade, the literature on early attachment has now filtered through to um, pu public awareness. So my argument has been that the involvement of fathers in the medical management of childbirth has constituted a socially engineered cravat. Introduced as a cultural norm, first in national and then in international maternity care policies, this norm has spawned a range of local adjustments and interpretations. And in conclusion, I wish to return to the ethnography of Amazonian cravat to bring together contextual aspects of nurture among Amazonian indigenous people and new parents in the United Kingdom. So very briefly, a few points. While the making of a, baby a baby's body engages Amazonian parents in their daily interactions with other beings of the forest environment, for British parents, the process is increasingly one of surveillance by maternity professionals who are required to enforce normative rules of behavior. Um, well, just not, not, not just no smoking, moderate drinking, and avoiding medicines, but many other subtle surveillance. In both settings, parents face risk together. And, and in both settings, parent-to-be are partners through their responsibility for growing their baby within a context of risk. Amazonian parents, however, within the first two or three pregnancies are supported by members of their extended households and even their localized kindreds. But British parents rely only on friends and informal networks, and I refer to Castle's analysis of the network society. The fact that both expectant parents need to learn to care for a baby and often have limited familiarity with the concept of nurture contrasts strongly with Amazonian pregnant women and men's confidence acquired from childhood. A second point is about the phenomenon of transference that takes place between pregnant and birthing partners. And that continues to be an, ex an unexplained aspect uh, of intimate relations between the birth partners. And it has been rationalized through reductionist explanations in terms of hormones. And uh, there were older studies on estradiol, but now the, the, the rage is on oxytocin and even uh, techniques to promote oxytocin between couples. And also uh, anomalies as xenotransmission. So I received an article recently about a, uh, a vet who uh, read an article I wrote at some point 
and he wrote to me if I could comment on the fact that uh, a woman had had pre uh, phantom pregnancy symptoms when her uh, when her dog had puppies, and she was very very uh, very very pregnant. <laughs> so uh, that xenotransmission across the uh, human animal uh, divide. Films of home birth and reality documentaries such as One Born Every Minute so sp so show spontaneous incidents of such transference. And I saw one which I would have liked to bring, but um, I need special permission. And it's an incident which you may have seen uh, if you have watched uh, One Born Every Minute at some point. And it's a, a father who is... Um, uh, he, he takes a, a rubber glove, one of these blue surgical rubber gloves, and every time his wife has a, uh, has a contraction, he blows into the rubber glove to the point that you think the rubber glove is going to explode. And he's tensing his whole body uh, in this effort. And then as the contraction finishes, he let the rubber glove uh, go out. <laughs> and, uh, and then he repeats this uh, through the labor. Well, his wife is puffing on the nitrous oxide, the gas and air uh, mask. So it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, funny, uh, symmetrical uh, action. Christian rituals such as baptism tended to be formal rather than related to everyday living. So they still exist, but the, there is, uh, the importance of spiritual nurture is now more experience in the form of close contact and prompts men to engage in baby wearing in public spaces. So practice such as kangaroo care, which is like putting a, a, a premature newborn as a skin-to-skin -skin contact, or uh, baby wearing, I'm sure you've all seen that, is, uh, is non-gender based. It is... is uh, Fathers have theirs, or mothers have theirs, or they share the baby carrier, and they, uh, there is there is no no controversy about uh, the use. Well, but this contrasts with the Amazonian uh, people because for for Quechua Lamas men, the division between the public and private spheres remains strong. So while a father or grandfather is very happy to play with a little baby, even very young baby, on their lap, um, they would never do so in public. And um, gender roles obliterated in the context of Kuvad are resumed in public places. So in both settings, it's also... Uh, parent nurture as well as uh, baby nurture. And this, the, 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 COVID, the new COVID has been described as a, as a birthright, as, a, as a, a right of birth for, for fathers, and it's about self-nurture. So while, while, the, while, while the Amazonian COVID continues to be more... Uh, effective in terms of social transition by like gaining the right to have their own household in, in, in Western context the transition to fatherhood is, is truly a self-initiation right or an, uh, um, 
an initiation into self-nurture as well as the nurture of the baby. So the, I, I, I think that that was also mentioned in Peter Rivier's article. In a liberal economy model in which competitive advantage is taught from conception, the benefits of early nurture are called for uh, more agency from parents, and you've probably all heard of baby mother. So parents are now responsibilized to produce the perfect children of, of their dream, to uh, refer to John Rothschild. Genes, however, raise the apparish, apparition of disability, potentially terrifying expectant parents. So we need to go back to the nature-nurture debate. Just when it seemed that this debate has been resolved in favor of a greater plasticity of experience, the threats of environmental perils to the newborn and, and born children may lead Western parents not only to adopt consumer-driven technologies of the self, fencing off the biogenetic hazards, but also uh, support communities of nurture in which their newborns can feel at home as much as their Amazonian counterparts. And actually, this is what I do in my, uh, my day job, maybe, or my other job, is to... So these are... Um, this, 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 this is what people exchange on the internet. <laughs> and there, are, I mean, there are, there's such proliferation of of these images and these uh, blogs. And uh, yeah, the the nurturing, the nurturing uh, of of fathers is very, very uh, has the images change. If you do an analysis of images over the last twenty years, there, there is such a difference between the fathers at a distance and now the fathers really uh, closely involved throughout the whole labor. And, sorry, this is a bit gross. Uh, and uh, also the involvement of the fathers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now if you, you, this is from a, I think it's from a bank. So the, the image of nurturing fathers are used for insurance by insurance companies and also by uh, this is uh, practices for imitation for baby imitation so that the it's supposed to stimulate the brain development of, of the baby the baby uh, the baby mimics uh, and, and, and learns to attune to the face so yeah this is what I what I do some of the time. It's active bonding, and it's uh, in in connection with the word of uh, Barry Brazelton, who has done uh, developed a newborn assessment scale in which the parents are involved to discover the wonder wonderful abilities of, of their newborn, and by connecting to the baby cues and the and the uh, uh, the facets of the cognitive uh, abilities of their babies that they were not aware of because they've never seen a baby before, many of them, and they have no familiarity with that. 
So they, they need to be they need to be shown and they need to be they need to relearn this physical intimacy that they are not familiar with. So the, the fourth stage of labor is now the fourth the fourth trimester of pregnancy. The fourth stage of labor in the hospital, that sort of window of bonding just after the birth, is, is now given more uh, importance if time allows. So midwives struggle to carve out time for parents to spend time together because it's that window of opportunity which is so special for, for, for that very early bonding. And then the fourth stage, the fourth trimester of pregnancy, is that these first three months, which in Asia uh, are, are now, there's a very interesting development, an adaptation of the old practice of baby moon, in which the mother is on her own in, and cannot bathe and, and has to take uh, very special foods and also uh, has. Uh, a special massage with fathers and now there is an involvement of fathers as well to the point that there are there is a hospital in London which now caters for new parents bonding new parents and uh, following one in New York which is quite successful I mean they are for very affluent parents but they do exist and they provide a model so this this is it <laughs> Thank you.